Iskort is an extremely weird planet. Just the I weirdest. I love how it's described as looking like it's designed by Dr. Zeus. Mm-hmm. Like Marco makes that comparison. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are miles up. Um, looking out from this platform with no railings and everything looks like it's made of Lego and Duplo. Uh, these massive towers being propped up by support beams of other platforms. No rhyme or reason to anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just keeps going up above them. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they definitely have <clears throat> this moment. Uh, because of, um, and there's no sort of rhyme or reason to how far these floors and platforms are from each other. And, um, like Jake has a moment of vertigo and we have this incident of Rachel, um, windmilling and going almost like is like she's going to go back from one of these platforms as a gaggle of the escort show up. Um, but Eric is able to grab hold of her. Um, before uh, she can fall. Mm-hmm. Um, like grabbing her by the arm, like she mm-hmm. weighs nothing more than a candy bar, is how it's described. And she's like, did I mention I always wanted you along on this mission, Eric? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, there's a bunch of these Iskor here who are described as arriving, honking with the diaphragm in their bellies and yammering in thought speak. Um, and they're all there just like, I will buy your memories. Come visit my execution parlor. Give me your clothing and I will give you credit. Here, eat this lava. Let it gestate and we'll split the proceeds between your heirs. <laughs> um, one of them is uh, asking Axe to become his partner, so business partner so they can sell his fur as a gachak poison. And Marco's just uh, trying to like, what is this planet of the salesman? Back off. Uh, Rachel compares it to the pushy salespeople at Nordstrom's and she just steps out in front of the group, hands on her hips, just like, we're just here to use the bathroom. Can you tell me where the ladies' room is? <laughs> Which is just enough to surprise the escort to like, some of them just, like, they're just like staring at her. Mm-hmm. Some wander off. Um, some are waiting in the hope that maybe they'll change their mind. Mm-hmm. Um and Jake and Cassie just like ah Rachel <laughs> um and <clears throat> yes and then we get this description of what the uh, escort look like I feel like Ka had some fun here because <laughs> yeah this this is a description uh huh. Oh, yeah, let me let me let me read this. Okay. They were not the most frightening looking race we'd ever encountered, but they were definitely not even slightly human. They had heads like vultures, thrust forward on long necks. The necks protruded from shoulders that were sort of an oval platform flat across. From the shoulders dropped two arms, one on each side, each arm jointed three times, ending in a hand made up of one very long tentacle-like finger and two smaller hooked, sharp clawed fingers. They walked in a way that made it seem like they were crawling on their knees, backwards. Not that they went backwards, they went forward. They had two thick legs, maybe two and a half feet long. Then came what looked like knees, followed by calves that extended forward, lying flat against the ground. 
Those entered in feet, each with a single long prehensile toe and two smaller claws jutting from the sides of thick pads. Their midsection was bare of clothing and looked weirdly like an accordion, an accordion made of veined pink flesh that moves, wheezing out, a sort of running commentary on the thought speak. The sound, with the sound of a whine, a grating, annoying whine that rose or fell, depending evidently on how excited or mad or agitated they were. And Cassie observes that the sound is familiar to Fran Drescher from The Nanny, which is just... <laughs> and I love, bless Cassie, who goes, no offence. And Tobias <laughs> points out, I don't think Fran's probably around here to overhear you being rude. <laughs> yeah. It but it's like... And then their faces are like triangular with the point towards the top, which left no room for eyes. So then their pink rabbit eyes are stuck on short stalks and they have mm -hmm. mouths that they don't use to communicate. Um, but they open every few minutes to suck in air and reveal like a fat blue tongue and tiny blue tinged teeth. I cannot picture what these fuckers look like in my head. There is just so much going on with that description. <laughs> I've put a couple images in in voice text. Oh my, that'll be fun for anybody. What keeping a half eye on voice text? <laughs> okay, cool. That that is very helpful. Yeah, good work, artists of the Animorphs fandom. <laughs> yeah, what weird bastards. Yep. <laughs> and we do have this observation from Rachel. She's like, you know how you meet some people and right away before they even say anything, before we have any idea what they're like, you don't like them. I mean, on site, you can't stand them. And it's not that they're <laughs> ugly or anything. It's just something about them that sets you off. No, Cassie <laughs> said, at least I didn't know. Now I do. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And through consistently that, the Iskot are incredibly annoying. Yes. Like, they feel like a cross between, oh, it's a certain creature in Alice in Wonderland that I'm thinking of that's a little bit like a bird, but like with body puff, like with puffs in part of it. Or maybe it's a specifically a dot. It feels like a very Zeusian mm -hmm. creature, but it does feel a little bit like Dr. Like K.A. went, what if Dr. Zeus had to do a version of the Ferengi? From DS9. Because <laughs> these guys, and what's interesting, we find out as they go, they have all sorts of guilds. Mm -hmm. um, and they all, all of them are specialized in different things and different trade. Um, and the thing is, the society is actually seems quite interesting. Like, as we mm -hmm. learn more about them, it's very engaging, but the <laughs> Iskil themselves are just like, written to be incredibly alien in a way that is very grating. Yes. <clears throat> and I think it's I think it's really important that that is the case. Mhm. Mm I think it's really important yeah, that these aliens are just like fucking annoying and, and nobody likes them. Because if if they were <laughs> likable, it would be easy to want to save them. Yes. But the fact that they are these, like, and for all the Rachel to make that comment about, it's not when somebody's ugly or something. Mm -hmm. But, like, they're weird looking. They don't immediately, like, create something. Like, 
the hawk bajir when we were introduced to them terrifying looking mm-hmm. but like everything about their anatomy and as we know because they were created by the arm but serves a purpose mm-hmm. that description of an escort you're like what the fuck is any of that for <laughs> how how did that happen yep how did evolution make that do you know <laughs> but um like danielle says the fact like, it's clearly very deliberate because it makes the ongoing choice it's just like you should help people even if they're assholes da, 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 da. it's like it feels like it's making that point yeah like life in and of itself has worth mm-hmm. and that's something that i feel like has come up before in the books yeah. And feels like an extension of that. Like, we'll find out later why the escort are important in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. But in and of itself, the fact of the matter is, they're still creatures with a society. Mm-hmm. And for all that they're annoying as fuck, and some of them like to fight, they're pretty chill. Yeah. Like... They're just like, they're doing their thing. They like trading. They like making things. They're like mm-hmm. selling things. One of the big things they trade in is memories. So you mm-hmm. can experience things other people have, which yeah. sounds dope as hell, yeah. frankly. Yeah, it's um, it's very much a, it's a bitch eating crackers kind of situation, right? You don't really have I, any no, reason you, to hate. Did, hmm? What is this bitch eating crackers? So bitch eating crackers is you don't have any you don't really have any reason any justified reason to hate that person like you they're they're fine really but just like something about them just grates on your nerves Mm -hmm. constantly that you just you cannot stand to be around them and so it's just like man look at that bitch over there just eating crackers look at her (laughs) like (laughs) it's bitch eating crackers it's just anything they do sets you off even though it doesn't have any meaning yeah yeah okay that that on top of brian's reaction to the art of the iskut is just (laughs) very good (laughs) yeah uh but uh yeah so they are surrounded by these escort who um, eventually a new kind of team comes up besides just like the gaggle that were around them at the beginning. So a new team comes up, um, and the leader of this one is like, oh, hey, we didn't expect off-worlders today. Uh, do you need a guide? Do you want to sell anything? Maybe a memory? Maybe unnecessary body parts? I you know. like that he stresses <laughs> unnecessary. <laughs> um, uh, and Jake's like, Ugh, and is ready to tell Rachel, just go grizzly and deal with this. But uh, Cassie points out, you know, if they're serious about a guide, and Jake's just like, yeah, you're right. Just <laughs> um, like, okay, we could use a guide. Show us where to go. Show us around and where to stay. And uh, what will you pay, the escort demanded, to the sound of eager whining, just in case she <laughs> wanted to really... In case you'd missed that these guys are super annoying. Um, and Jake explains how they don't have any money. And this leader is just like, I will give you an excellent guide, my own grub, in exchange for her hair. And he points uh, to Rachel's hair. Mm-hmm. 
it's not a pretty negotiation. <laughs> um, the f- this guy just wants to shave Rachel's head, and she apparently very calmly explained she would remove his head and use it for a soccer ball before that happened. <laughs> Um, but in the end, Rachel uh, ends up like giving six inches of hair, uh, and it's left with just like a, it comes to just below her ears, which sounds super cute. Just saying, just like, but and Cassie's like, you know, it looks good. And Rachel's just like this from the girl who buys all her clothes from Evel Bean. Um, and then we get this fucking. I I live for these fucking details. Um, not that it looks good, because it does. But uh, possibly because Eric did the cutting. I used to cut Catherine the Great's hair, he explained, sounding <laughs> apologetic. <laughs> like it was embarrassing to admit that he'd been alive since Moses was wandering around in the desert. But I just, every time I find out a historical person that Eric knew personally, <laughs> I'm just like, yes, this is some Doctor Who-esque shit that I am mm-hmm. here for. Mm-hmm. I, I love it I just I do <laughs> and I'm mad that I haven't seen more short haired Rachel fan art mm-hmm. I do like the detail um, that, that Jake's uh, point of reference here is Moses wandering in the desert because he's mm-hmm. Jewish oh good shit good shit <laughs> but um yeah they get a guide uh, his name is Whose Guide. name is Guide. <laughs> his full name is Guide, Grub of Skin Cellar, Brother of Memory, Wholesaler. Um, um, he was a young escort, which did not make him any less annoying. <laughs> the first thing he did was try to improve the deal by getting Axe to let him have the last foot and a half of his tail. Axe said no. <laughs> Marcus said, you know what, you jerks around, Guide and Axe will give you the last foot and a half of his tail. Guide understood the threat and becomes easier to deal with. He only asked for memories, clothing, hair, and various body parts every hour or so rather than constantly. Um, but as uh, he's showing them around, Jake, uh, they start asking him questions, and Jake asks about if he'd seen any other off-worlders. And the guide's like, well, yes, it's um, what happens all the time. The City of Beauty is a temporary home to many off-worlders. Um, Cassie? Has a, and again, it was, it's framed like Cassie is infuriated by these people because <laughs> she's like probably drawn here by the charm of the residents, which just Jay, uh, it's like described as Cassie saying it dryly, and uh, which and Jake's just smiling to himself about Cassie being a little bit sarcastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought Cassie could like anyone. Evidently, even she had limits. Um, Tobias explains that they're looking for uh howlers mm-hmm. and uh he's Guide. pitch changes he's like the wine of his chest accordion fucking hell I think it's so weird. <laughs> um, and uh it says like the species is not known to me and jake jake just immediately knows that this kid is lying uh-huh by the pitch of his chest whining. <laughs> like, I. <laughs> um, but so Jake's just like, have you ever met an Andalite? Like, we get the threatening now, which is like, don't lie to us, guide. Have you ever met an Andalite before? No. Well, 
Andalites have the power to mind meld with people. They can look right inside their thoughts and know if they're lying. And if you're lying, they will make your head explode. <laughs> no one cracked a smile. Although Marco had to struggle. And Tobias, she's just like, now acts as a Vulcan? <laughs> um... But the threat works. And uh, this is, uh, this giving me another point is, a uh, Chamberlain, uh, the, from the Skeksy, from, uh, Dark Crystal. She's like, mm -hmm. howlers. Did you say howlers? There may have been one or two howlers around. <laughs> um, and she's just like, I try seven. And like, where are they? Do you know where they're here? And as far as Guide is aware, they've come to trade. Um, they trade memories for bodasalts, and the howl of memories are very valuable. Um, and Cassie asks to, uh, for it to be explained what the deal is with the memory stuff, because um, people keep talking about buying them. And he explains that um, memory shows are like the greatest form of the greatest form of entertainment. It's like a, a big thing for the uh, escort. Marco mm -hmm. feels like it probably doesn't hold up to the Super Bowl. Um, and we get this detail from Eric, uh, who Jake had basically forgotten was there, um, that the, the chief suspected that the Howlers might have collective memory um, and that memories are passed on from generation to generation. And Guide uh, expands on that by saying that's why uh, Howler memories come on such a price, because their memories are very long and clear. As a result of this. Mm -hmm. uh, Jake is feeling extremely frustrated because uh, they, they haven't made any progress. They don't know anything. They don't know where the Howlers are. Um, and he continues to feel increasingly jumpy. Um, because, like, he's, he's anticipating something to happen. Um, about that, you know, hypervigilance, as we've mentioned. Um, mm -hmm. Cassie asks Guide if Guide has any of the Howler memories, um, and Guide's like, no, I'm a traitor. Uh, I'm not interested <laughs> in violence and killing and slaughter. Um, no, it is the members of the Criminal Guild and the Warmaker Guild who buy Howler memories. Um, and so Guide is leading them to a place where they can set up some kind of base of operations. Um, they don't want to stand out here in the open. Um, I want uh, to give a quick shout out to the detail just with that mm -hmm. hypervigilance we were discussing about because really what Jake is describing is anxiety because mm -hmm. he's like he knows he needs to be doing something and it feels like they're wasting time and he snaps yep. uh, a little um, at Guide or also I suppose at Cassie a little bit too mm -hmm. who is the one who calmly says who, like, it seems to me if we're going to have a battle, we're better off if we knew where we were and what's going on. Mm -hmm. And he accepts that, but he can't relax. And it says in the book, like, but the edginess I felt wouldn't let me admit it. Mm -hmm. And it's very... Cassie looks her, but she's not judging him in her response. She has yeah. a good defensive. Yeah. Like, she clearly knows that he's struggling. Yeah. Because of course she does, because she makes mm -hmm. it her business too. Yeah. And she's the kind of person who would apologize for that thing later once they're safe. Mm -hmm. Um so it's not it's not 
because my, my first thought was like, man, she's having to like manage his anxiety for him. And that feels bad. But also like, we know that Jake, one, they're all in a war. And two, Jake is, uh, the kind of person who would yeah. apologize for that. We've later. seen it happen mm-hmm. on more than one occasion. So, um, so they're going down a couple of levels. Um, they walk through energy storage, uh, and get to a bazaar. After going um, down a really terrifying staircase. Mm-hmm. That uh, nobody is having a fun time with, except Tobias <laughs> who's flying and Eric who is just Eric. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, Guide says that they have to move quickly, um, but, uh, because of the Warmaker Guild is in this area. <laughs> um, and as if summoned by the sound of their name, uh, the Warmaker Guild attacks. Um, the Animorphs immediately go into battle mode. Because um, they assume <laughs> it's the Howlers. Because they assu- they think it's the Howlers. Um, Jake straight up punches one in the face. Uh, Rachel gets basically halfway into Grizzly Morph within like 10 seconds. Um, but Jake notices that, like, this isn't right. We weren't even morphed and we were beating these guys. And Eric was way too calm. Um, and when he asks, Eric is like, no, these are not Howlers. Um, these are just members of the Warmaker Guild. They are other escort. Um, and, uh, so they just kind of continue on. Jake tells Rachel to stay in bear morph and axe to stay ready and they're attacked a couple other times but it's they basically brush it off um uh but they're tired um already by the time they're making their way down uh one more stairway to where they need to go um and here on this stairway is where they do encounter a howler um uh, the Howler is, they're not large, smaller than a hork as big as a large man. He walked on two bowed legs with a swinging, almost comic gait. He had two arms, longer than his legs. The hands were almost human, five fingers and an opposable thumb. But from the wrists projected a sort of second hand, a claw that could be lowered to cover the back of the hand or kept up out of the way. This claw had four hooked, steel-tipped claws. It looked like there was a bearing halfway up his body, as if the top half of the torso was on a living Lazy Susan, allowing the body to turn all the way around and keep the fighting claws in the game. The head was ugly, a slag heap of melted-looking, black, pebbled skin. The entire creature looked like he had been formed out of still cooling lava. Beneath the black, in the cracks and creases of his flesh, were lines of bright red. Within this face were eyes of a startling, pale, beautiful blue. Robin's egg blue, they call it. The entire eye was blue, with the cat's iris a paler shade. The howler seemed indifferent to us, didn't care, wasn't concerned. He wore a series of loose belts around his torso, and each of these featured a different weapon. Or at least they looked like weapons, something similar to a dragon beam, what might have almost been an automatic pistol. Knives, small metallic boomerangs, a gun that seemed loaded with darts. He was a walking arsenal. And when Jake looks back at Eric... Eric is freaking the fuck out um, to the point where he can't control his hologram. 
Um, and Rachel points out that six against one, they're, they're not going to get better odds than this. That if they're going to be fighting these howlers, now is the time to, to try to fight. Um, and Jake is like, well, this is a really terrible place to fight. There's, you know, we don't, the, the terrain is bad and we're tired and it, like that this is bad all around. But Rachel's right. So he tells everyone to morph. Um, he and he tells the sh- Go on. Mm-hmm. No, go ahead. Okay. He calls the shots uh, for the fight, as it were. Axe, to- Axe take the lead and Tobias to get some altitude, tells Guide to back off and Eric to stay out of the way. Um, uh, he- and he's getting scared. Uh, the adrenaline is starting to run. He knows they're not ready. Um, but he starts morphing. Um we get this observation of the Howler's blue eyes narrowed as we shifted positions. He knew a fight when he saw one coming, but he was fascinated by the morphing. Fascinated and almost jealous, if it's, if it's possible to read an expression on a face made of tar with eyes as empty as sky. Um, being in the tiger morph is sort of reassuring for Jake because the tiger's not scared. Mm-hmm. Um, it knows it's the de- deadliest creature in the jungle. Um, and Jake is like taking in all the details. Again, it's that adrenaline factor, taking everything in, all of the details. Uh, everyone is in battle morph. Um, and we get this detail as he sort of comes back to himself a little bit. Eric is giving information. Uh, he'd been talking for a little bit and Jake just hadn't really heard him. Um, we get the cutoff sentence of will paralyze you and numb your senses. If he gets close, he'll use the needle teeth retracted into his upper lower jaw. He's not as fast as Eric. What did you say about paralyzing? I interrupted. It's the reason they're called howlers, Jake, the voice be ready to. And the howler reaches for his uh, beam weapon and the fight starts and it's bad. Mm-hmm. Um, we see this howler's howl in action, and it overloads uh, the senses. This is such a rough fight, and it's just against one uh, opponent. Mm-hmm. And it's it's so much to read. Yep, it's so. Uh, Jake gives out his own kind of battle roar. Um, as a tiger and tells everyone to attack. Um, Axe cuts off the howler's hand, uh, but before uh, before the the weapon even stops rolling on the ground where it dropped it, um, the hand is growing back. So not only are these things hellish, but they also regenerate. Um, and Axe is pressing the attack again, but before any of the other anamorphs can even get close. Uh, the howler howls. It was a blast of sound like nothing I'd ever heard before. Compared to it, my tiger's roar was the mewling of a kitten. I missed my leap and fell in a tangle on the steps. I saw Rachel trip and fall, landing on top of me. It was like having a safe dropped on my stomach. The wind exploded from my lungs. I scrambled to get up, but I couldn't make sense of up or down. I clawed feebly. Rachel rolled off, and I saw that Axe was reeling, running, running away, back up the stairs. Weak andalite hands clapped against his ears, blood seeping between the fingers. 
Cassie was howling, all wolf, wolf in her pain. Marco seemed the least affected. He swung a cement block fist that hit the howler on his arm and spun the creature sideways. And they get back into the fight. And uh, this time, uh, Jake is able to get teeth into the howler's arm. Cassie also bites. Um, uh, but now they're just closer when the howler howls again. Someone exploded a hand grenade in my head. I clamped my jaws tight, but all else was a blur. All a swirling mad blur. Blue and tan fur leaped over me, rust red feather shot past. What was happening? I couldn't think, couldn't make sense. A searing, sharp pain. My ears, eyes cleared just long enough to see the ornate da dagger handle that protruded from my neck. I'd been stabbed in the neck. Eric tells Jake to demorph. Um, and he's, Eric is shouting out information, not orders, specifically not orders. Um, Cassie, he's trying to stab you. Axe, you're too close to the edge. Stop moving. Rachel, the howler is within two feet of the edge to your right. Um, and continuing to tell Jake to demorph because the tiger is dying. Um, tells Cassie to demorph. Uh, and then Jake passes out. Um, uh, and in, as he's passed out, he has a dream. This is more of an actual dream, watching howlers standing around Cassie in a circle. Um, uh, but he wakes up, uh, to the sight of the others, all whole and at least physically healthy. Um, Cassie is also here. She's behind him. Um, I believe she's like propping him up on her, like holding her t between her legs. Um, uh, he asks for her first. We got it. We've got to stress this. Mm-hmm. Because it's very good. To be fair, he can see everybody else. Mm -hmm. So he immediately then asks for Cassie. Mm -hmm. um, and she um, hugs him from behind, like her hand on his cheek. Um, and then he, it took him a while to wake up. Uh, he, wasn't, he barely demorphed in time. And uh, then they weren't sure if he was going to wake up. And, and Jake's next question is to Rachel, uh, asking about the howler. Um, and while they did do some damage, he walked away. Um, and Marco's pissed. It's like six against one and we got a draw. Rachel points out that there were seven of us. Um, he was, and that Eric saved their butts. He was the only mm -hmm. one who could handle the howls. And Marco was still angry. And I think if Marco was calmer, he probably... You get a lot of Marco's frustration with the chi mm -hmm. and the programming. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, like, I, I get it, but also, like, the chi... Like, Eric chose to have that ability to do violence taken from him mm -hmm. after that um, incident. But, like... It isn't an active choice he's making the rest mm -hmm. that now. He made that choice to not do violence again. Uh, and that's why he doesn't give orders. Because mm -hmm. if he told somebody to hurt somebody, that is as, as if doing it himself. Because mm -hmm. um, it's like, he also, it's like he, he isn't the leader of that group. 
but he's also hampered by what he can do. And but Marco's just pissed because of he knows how strong Eric is. Just mm-hmm. like you could have done this. Um, he couldn't tell them to hurt the Howler because that would violate his programming. But directions on how to get out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, like Marco's ranting a little bit. Uh, Jake's holding on to Cassie's hand. Mm-hmm. Um, I get this detail. I held on to Cassie's hand. I didn't want to get into this. I wanted to hold on to a moment of. Fe- Feeling glad to be alive, glad to feel Cassie's concern. Then he sighs, squeezes her fingers, and then pushes her hand away because it's time for him to be leader. Mm-hmm. He doesn't get to feel safe and glad to be alive. Mm-hmm. Not for more than a moment, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And he, uh. and Jake lays it out like Eric did what he could. You know that as much as I do. Um, and that he'd be dead if Eric hadn't been there. And like the fight goes out of Marco. That's just like, yeah, you're right. We mm-hmm. all did what we could. Uh, um, Jake. Meanwhile, Guide's still there. Yep. <laughs> just being very quiet. And Jake's like, you stick with us after that. <laughs> and Guide's just like, oh, yes, yes, yes. I hope you had to sell the memory of that battle for a small fortune. And if each of me would sell me your own unique perspectives, I could buy my own corner with the profits. <laughs> just like, right, they're annoying as hell but I also kind of love them and I've just yes. realised who I think uh, it's very um, Petrie from Land Before Time meets mm-hmm. uh, the bat voiced by Robin Williams in Phone Gully just like that sort of very <laughs> intense irritating energy uh-huh. but it's also kind of endearing but it's also uh-huh. irritating yeah. like Fun to watch from a distance. Wouldn't want it happening to you. <laughs> so. Yep. Uh, Jake pulls Cassie around so that he can see her and asks about Axe. Um, and she says he ran away. He came back, but I guess that's not enough. He won't talk to anyone. Um, and Jake's just like, all right, well, let it be for now. I'll talk to him later. Um, and. He's exhausted. Everyone is exhausted. Um, they've been beaten in a fight that by all, all metrics, they should have won. Um, six of us plus Eric against one howler. We'd fought to a draw, a tie. Seven against one, a tie. If there had been two howlers, let alone all seven, we'd have been killed in ten seconds. We weren't scared, not the way we might be facing a battle. We were worse than scared. We were beaten. Um, and, uh, they, Guide has taken them someplace, uh, where they can rest for a moment. Um, and, uh, Tobias asks, like, well, what do we do now? Um, Marco says, uh, you know, I'm, I'm all for dialing up the Elemis and telling him to go jump off whatever super dimensional bridge he can find. And Tobias points out again, he wouldn't have put us here if we weren't at least theoretically capable of winning, which you notice is slight, has more qualifiers in it than it did the first time he said it. I think, yeah, it's like after seeing that fight, like, like Tobias is incredibly pragmatic. Mm -hmm. As much as he can be the 
I don't want to say the optimist of the group. He, I think he arguably believes in the cause the most. Mm. If that he's, makes sense. He's the sense. most hopeful. Yes, I think that's 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 a good way of putting it. Because um, mm-hmm. it's not unrealistic. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, no, he's also like, he's very pragmatic a lot of the time. Because he has to be. Yeah. Um, and Cassie is the one who then replies, unless there's some other deeper game the Elemist is playing. He's finding a battle for entire species, entire planets. We're just pawns. Um, and Jake observes that's more cynicism that he, than he's used to hearing from her, but that she isn't wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and he can't shake the fear um, that maybe this is a setup, mm-hmm. that Cryak wants them there um, because... Uh, not because they're important by themselves, but because eliminating them would help the Yerks. Mm-hmm. Rachel, meanwhile, because um, Jake's just like, okay, so why had the Elemis border here? He had to know how powerful the pow- the Howlers were. And Rachel's just like, this fucking stinks. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, we're leaving Earth defenseless to save these guys, uh, to save the escort, which she says like a curse word. Um. Uh, Jake's looking to Eric, wondering what's going on in his head. Um, and Eric is the one who voiced himself, maybe the Elemist would reprogram me, remove the prohibition against violence. Um, and Mark's like, okay, well, it's hopeless, because when Eric starts talking that way, we it's because we're beat. And Rachel's just <laughs> like, beat this. She's like, <laughs> I love her. Mm-hmm. Um, it made me smile. Rachel felt as down as anyone, but she refused to admit she couldn't just go out and nail the next howler she saw. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Cassie points out they're faster than we are, stronger than we are, better armed than we are, but are they smarter than we are? And Eric's like, well, they had faster than light ships when humans still thought the wheel was a radical new invention. And Tobias is like, that doesn't make them smarter. That just means they started earlier. Um, which isn't a lot to go on, but it's something. And so Jake asks Eric to tell them everything he knows about the Howlers. Um, Eric says, well, I only saw it from the point of view of the victims. I could use my holographic systems to recreate what I saw, but there may be a way to get even more information. And Guide's like, ah, yeah, we could purchase Howler memories. Definitely. For sure. Um, you can load, I can load memories directly into your Android friend here, but they will be expensive. Um, and right, just like, you're not getting any more of my hair. <laughs> not a kidney or an arm either, which like, Rachel, you'll regrow them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, guide says, I'll pay for you to view the Howler memories in exchange for harvesting your own memories. Um, and Jake negotiates with Guide a little bit. Um, the memory selling doesn't mean they lose them. They just make a copy. Um, and at first, uh, they're wary because they don't want any of the memories to possibly reach the Yerks. Um, but Guide brings up a star map and Axe is able to figure out that they are, what, 500 million light years away from Earth? Uh, before yeah, the Yerks could, sp- yeah. Before the Yerks could spread a tenth of this distance, they would have had to swallow not only Earth but my planet as well. And Jake's like, "All right, uh, so if the Yerks can't get it, then there's no reason not to, really. Um, but we know that these memories are going to make you extremely rich. So here's the deal: if we live, you get to copy our memories. 
and you don't ask for anything else, this is like you advance us on anything that we need. And Guide's just like, yeah, yeah, I'll take that deal. Um, uh, <laughs> was it just like looking like uh, Bill Gates? Yep, uh, just turned like him into just Bill turned Gates. into the Bill Gates of the escort. Yep. <laughs> uh, Guide transfers all the Howler memories to the android Eric, um, and uh, Eric uh, downloads all the memories. Um, Eric's almost canine face was blank. Then his eyes flew open and he pulled back. It was impossible to read emotion on the android face, but I could guess. He had just absorbed the memories of the creatures who had wiped out his creators, the Pemelites, and made interstellar fugitives of the Chi. How are you doing, Eric? Cassie asked. I have absorbed the Availer Howler memories. They are not... not pleasant viewing. Can you show us? Yes. He hesitated. Memories of the attack on my creators are included. I would not like to show you that. I would not like to have to... He fell silent, embarrassed. Cassie put a hand on his steel and ivory arm. Then don't. Show us what you can. Show us what we need to know. And so Eric shows them the people called Graffin's children. Um, and they are transported to this holographic memory of uh, these Gumby-like creatures um, uh, in a sort of rainforest area. Um, they look like Gumby, not green, but dark blue, and not smooth, but as rough textured as an old tree. But still they moved with the jerky grace of Gumby, walking on two legs, eyes raised to the treetops above them. I saw a hand move into view, and I jerked in surprise. A howler's hand. I was seeing this forest, these plants and animals, and Graffin's children through howler eyes. The howler was lying in wait, hidden from view. Then the nearest of the Graffin's children spotted him. His eyes went wide. A smile twisted his strange mouth. He extended a hand toward the howler, welcoming. Curious. The column of Graffin's children walked toward the howler like so many toddlers, like kids who wanted to pet a dog or something. The howler moved, a blur of speed. Other howlers came into view. They howled. To us, the sound was softened by Eric's filtering. But it hit the Graffin's children full force. They began to blow apart. They stood there, helpless, confused, not knowing why anyone would hurt them, and they simply... And Jake tells Eric to stop the hologram. And realizes too late that Eric has this on his in his memory now. And Eric cannot erase it from his memory. Um, Jake apologizes and asks how much Eric absorbed. Um, and Eric says, I have memories of 17 Howler attacks, all successful. They have never been defeated. They have attacked highly advanced civilizations and simple people like Graffin's children. They have never taken a prisoner. They simply kill and kill and kill until there is no one left to kill. Then they go and find something else to kill. That's insane, Cassie yelled. No species does that. It doesn't make sense. There's no logic to it. You're not talking about predators who kill to eat or prey animals who kill in self-defense. Even humans have reasons, no matter how sick. Even humans have limits. Why would evolution result in a species that kills for no reason? It wouldn't. It didn't, Eric said. The Howlers didn't evolve. They were created. Krayak? He nodded. Graffin's children and dozens of species were annihilated by Krayak's children. 
Uh, and they're all pretty rocked by this, um, but they have a long night ahead of them. They try to sleep. No one really gets any sleep. Um, and Jake is going over and over in his mind, like, what, what is the Elemist's game here? How he expected them to win. But nothing makes sense. Um, and, uh, Cassie asks him, you know, what, wonder what it's like to be like one of them, a howler. Uh, they know they were created by Krayak. They're bright enough to fly spacecraft, so they can't be entirely without minds. What do they think of themselves? I didn't really care, but Cassie's voice was a comforting distraction. I don't know. I guess they're happy being what they are. Aren't most species happy being themselves? <coughs> and Cassie points out that termites and ants aren't really happy or unhappy, but howlers have minds. Um, and and Jake points out that just because a person is intelligent doesn't mean that they can't be brutal and rotten and evil. Um, and th they're having this whole kind of uh, philosophical discussion about the Howlers and like, <clears throat> can they just be pure evil? Can they like, how how could an intelligent race be just all evil? And Cassie is confident that that cannot be true. Because that's what Nazis and slave owners and people like that believed. That you can just take a whole race or whatever and say, they're all this, we're all that. That's never going to be true. Um, and Jake doesn't really want to stomp on her idealism anyway, but, but does. <laughs> um, hmm. What are the odds that these seven howlers handpicked by Krayak are going to be all soft and cuddly? Um, and, and you get the vibe that he's maybe about to apologize or say mm -hmm. something to like because he knows he's just like stamped mm -hmm. on the idealism mm -hmm. again uh, as mm -hmm. as he has done before but then the room is then under attack yeah um and um there's there the kids are panicking. And you know what? Fair. Like uh -huh. they're all being like those of them that were sleeping, um kind of uh, Rachel again is just like instantly morphing. Mm -hmm. Um Jake's like, no 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 no, not combat morphs, small wise. Um and they need to um get out of there because they are not in a position to fight right now. Yeah. Um, and Axe is about to, um, is like, I will attempt to slow them down. And Rachel's like, no, we need to leave. And Axe is just like, I ran once, not again. And Tobias tries to talk him out of He's like, now is not the time. <laughs> um, Axe man. And, uh, Axe just shoots him down. She's like, I am an Andalite warrior. Um, the, um, the beam. Um, that was being used to like bang against the door. Oh no, sorry, different kind of beam. But the uh, beam stroke makes it through the wall um, where they are. And Eric runs uh, to the hole in the door and blocks it, uh, letting mm -hmm. his hologram drop. And literally, uh, he blocks the entrance with his body. 
Because mm-hmm. they can't hurt him. Mm-hmm. Like, all of the Hal's weapons are useless. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and he's just using his body to block the door. And yeah. uh, Eric's just like, Jake, this will not last. Um, and Axe still won't morph. Um, and uh, Jake's yeah, like, Mac, Axe, you need to do it. And Axe is just like, I can't run again. And Jake just full name drops Axe. <laughs> um, like, Axemolaya Eskarith Estel, you call me prince and you act like you mean it, and I am giving you a direct order. Morph, do it now. And it works. It's mm-hmm. enough to get through to Axe. Listen, who's, uh, as the howlers are howling outside, uh, Axe is morphing while bleeding from the eyes because of this attack. Um, thankfully, the rest of the kids are more fly than human, and it's now just vibrations mm-hmm. more than anything. It won't, doesn't hurt. It just like, kicks off the, the fly, the flying instinct. <laughs> um, and the howler in the door is just like, fight me, Chi, uh, because Eric, he can't move Eric. And Eric's just there, just like... <laughs> Nope. Eric is the hard play. Or the immovable object. Um, yeah. Jake realizes that the Hells are speaking English um, and figures it must have been Kryak. Mm-hmm. Um, Eric is just ignoring this, um, the taunting. But uh, proving that the Howlers are not dumb, they realize they can't force Eric out of the way, so they literally just start cutting around mm-hmm. to get through the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, and the kids are all morphed except Axe, um, and Guide, uh, who's just watching all of this, you know, future investments of, uh, bless. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Howlers are able to burn enough of the handhold away, um, and the Howlers are able to push past Eric. Um, but there's nothing in the room that they can immediately see to fight. Except for Axe. Nothing. Except for Axe, who is still morphing and uh, is ready to, ki- they're re- the, the Howlers are ready to kill Axe. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of them take aim. Eric goes to put himself between the guns and Axe, but the Howlers block his path. And Eric's programming stops him from pushing them aside. Mm-hmm. And then Marco. In thought speak, he's just like, Cryak is a huge walking, talking pimple. <laughs> just like, and the howlers are like, who's like looking around for like, who said that? And guides just like, it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a Discord trader. And by the way, I'd love to buy your memories of all this. <laughs> but, and Marco's continuing his shit talking. He's like, and howlers are the cows of the galaxy, brainless, ugly, bad, smelling, sniffling, gutless worms. And the leader of the house is just like, forget it, voices are meaningless. Uh, and then Jake joins in and like lands in his fly morph on this house face. Just like, not just a voice, you walking dirtbag, I'm right here, think you're tough, try killing me. And this howler goes to like smack the fly, uh, but Jake is able to dodge. And uh, Marco continues taunting and uh, the distraction worked long enough for Axe to finish morphing fly. Mm-hmm. Um, and his name now can't, Howls can't target him so yeah. um, 
And they go, okay, so we'll, uh, like, with no axe to attack, they're like, okay, the android. And Eric's hidden himself mm-hmm. behind a hologram of the wall. Mm-hmm. So uh, he to the howlers, he appears to have gone as well. Um, so the kids are able to escape. Yeah. Uh, they the guide eventually, like the howlers leave, um, defeated, uh, and guide leaves the building. Um, Tobias points out rightly that the howlers will watch guide, uh, so they need to be careful hooking back up with him. Um, Eric, uh, hooks up with guide. Uh, and casts a hologram that the kids then can land and demorph under. Um, and uh, they keep walking. Um, he's, Jake sends Tobias to look around to see if they're being followed. It doesn't look like it, so Eric turns off the hologram. Um, and so they just kind of walk through this weird foresty park-like area um and jake is just going around and around and around in his mind trying to figure out what's going on because he's he he knows he's missing something there had to be some way to defeat the howlers than just fighting them the elements didn't send us into a battle to lose um and you know what are the rules why the escort um why did they have to be saved um, why didn't the Howlers go after the Escort? Um, rules of engagement, they can't, if they beat that, if they beat us, they could annihilate the Escort, not until. Um, and, uh, he keeps, he keeps thinking about this detail. The Howlers never lost a battle. Never. And it's just like, that can't possibly be right. So what's going on? Um, but he can't, he can't get an answer out of it. Um, guide has brought them to a, uh, uh, like a the temple, temple of, of the servant guild, temple of the servant guild. Um, because he has to leave for a short while and then come back. Um, um and here's Rachel, where we get. The- yeah, this is, I was not expecting this mm-hmm. at all. So Rachel's like, what do you mean return? Where are you going? I must feed. You see, we escort are not precisely what we seem at first. The body you see is of our symbiote. We are a symbiotic species, a larger outer body, the isk, and the inner self, the much smaller portion called the yort. A symbiote, Axe demanded, speaking for the first time. Do you mean that you are parasites? Long ago, yes, Guide acknowledged. But what began as a parasitic relationship has become a truly symbiotic one. We function as a single creature, the two parts, halves, only separate every three days when the yacht must feed by swimming in the yacht pool and absorbing. Axe's tail was at the escort's throat before he could form the next word. Yerks. They're all yerks. Um, we get some details about the servant skilled. Um, mm-hmm. Lots of white and neon. <clears throat> some primary yep. colours. But uh, really, uh, nobody's especially interested in that. Because now they're inside the room, uh, guide in the middle, axe, tail blade ready, um, but back, as it were. And Jake demands that the guide explain. Yep. Um, 
And Guy just like, what do you want from me? Mark's like, we're a bazillion miles from home, clear across the galaxy, and all of a sudden we find out you Iscord are Yerks. Excuse us for being suspicious. We are not Yerks. We are Iscord. You're Yerk. That's pretty close. And you both live off Candrona rays? Yes, we feed on Candrona rays, but we are Iscord, not these Yerks you despise. And this is all the kids are pissed and mm -hmm. angry, which are the same thing, I realize. Um, <laughs> But and they're just like, nah, calling it off. Tell the Elemist fuck this. Um the yeah, the the howlers can have them. Um and again it's Cassie who steps in and asks Guy to um examine her, what do you know about the history of your people going way back to the beginning? And Guy's confused by this, but hey, Cassie's between him and Axe's tail blade. So um, he's able to explain, or he's given the opportunity to explain. We escort, I mean, back many, many generations, the Yort were parasites, as you said. They infested other species, but that was long ago. Since we formed our symbiotes, the combination of Isk and Yort, we have been as we are now. Um, and Rachel's like, they conquered these Isk things, and now it's like, okay, we're best buddies. And Marco agreed. Like, some stranger shows up on Earth a thousand years after the Yerks conquer Earth. The Yerks were saying, hey, us and the humans are symbiotes. And Cassie, as much as everybody else, is nodding, going, yeah, no, tracks. And Guide steps in and she's like, no, I have not made myself clear. The Isk were not conquered by the Yort. They were created. I assume Marco is the one say what? Because <laughs> that feels like a Marco thing to say. Mm -hmm. Parasitism is a limiting choice. The yacht moved violently to conquer other species and infest them, but this was not profitable, not in the long haul. So the yacht used biological engineering techniques to design and create a spe species specifically to be a symbiote. Who cares how you did it, Tobias argued. So you build the isk and then enslave them. No, no, Guide pleaded. The isk were true symbiotes. The isk cannot live without the yacht. And to ensure that this symbiosis, this symbiosis would be real, the Yort, too, were modified. Now Yort cannot live without Isk, and Isk cannot live without Yort. They are one creature with two parts. And that's, it's hitting the kids. And Cass like, of course, it's the way, the only way. Parasite becomes symbiote, no more infestation. They create the next step in their own evolution and become true symbiotes. No more war, Eric said quietly. No more need to conquer new species, to infest and enslave. And Cassie's the one that points out that the Yerks don't know about this. Even the ones who want peace can't imagine a way out of the cycle of conquest. And it's this is the revelation. This is why Krayak wants to destroy the Escort and why the Elamist can't allow it. Because someday in the future, the Escort could meet the Yerks and the Yerks would see that there was another way. And Jake smiles. The first in a long time, the ant had just figured out a part of the chess game.